Welcome to Baby Boomer Tales. My name is Jim. Thank you for riding along today. You can find us at babyboomertales.com. Once you've arrived, there are links to our Facebook page, several places where you can access our podcast, and even pictures of the great country I speak about so often. Once in a while, there'll be a picture of me. So I'm no longer a faceless voice out there in podcast land. I'm looking at you smiling, saying, let's get started with this. Before we do, I want to apologize for the potty humor on our last episode. It seemed to fit my mood, and like I always say, I try to keep this podcast about PG, in case you need that. I always look at it as taking the high road, but it doesn't really matter how I look at it. I'll try to stay away from the potty humor a little more. On December 26, 1963, Capitol Records released a song by a British group called The Beatles. The song was called I Want to Hold Your Hand, with the B-side titled I Saw Her Standing There, and the British Invasion began. I bought this record just as soon as I could, just as soon as it came into the drugstore there in my little hometown. I marched right down there and bought a copy of it. Then on February 9th, 1964, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, and I wanted to grow my hair. They stood there playing their guitars and drums, that shaggy hair down below their eyebrows, a little bit below their ears, touching their collar. I thought that was so cool. I was in the eighth grade when all this happened, and soon I started like all kinds of groups Dave Clark Five, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Beach Boys, the Birds, Herman's Hermits, the Mamas and the Papas, the Lovin' Spoonful, etc. I was fascinated by the Peace Love Movement that started to be on my radar a couple years later. All that stuff that was happening in San Francisco. That song by Scott McKenzie called San Francisco it was released May of 1967. And it tripped me right out. I could just imagine all these gentle people hanging out in Frisco with flowers in their hair, granny glasses on, tie-dye, whatever. Girls were barefoot, with long straight hair, no heels, hardly any makeup or bras. This really turned me on. It still kind of does. I much prefer females in bare feet and long straight hair then four-inch spike heels, and their whole demeanor wound tight as could be. Now I'm dating myself here because I understand that younger people are into the heels and stuff, but nothing will ever beat a beautiful young lady walking up to you, long blonde hair, a skirt down mid-calf, no shoes on, a loosely fitting shirt, and she hands you a daisy. Well, I'm older now, and all this is just memories, pretty much. I now prefer my women without high heels. That's a fact, still. In fact, I prefer only one woman, and I'm married to her, and she has no stiletto heels. When I was 17, I caught a ride. I was hitchhiking, and four what I would classify hippies picked me up smoking pot, playing some kind of sitar music in the car, offered me a joint. I declined it because I was on my way home to play football, and I've spoken about this in a couple podcasts from a few years back. 
But it fascinated me watching those guys and how they were just so far out. One thing's for certain, they were tripped out. And I'm not even sure what that meant back then. When I was about 20, I'd already hung around lots of what I call hippies. Never felt like I fit in at all, even though my hair was quite long. I lived a lot of that type of lifestyle around a lot of those type of people. And I had a friend named Harvey from New York. And his hometown was a little town called West Sagittarius. Not sure I pronounced that right. But it's the place where the band recorded the album Big Pink. Bob Dylan was hanging out there and he knew these guys. And he was telling me that I should come out the next summer. There's going to be a big, big rock concert with more people than we can even imagine. And his hometown was real close to where that was. I could hang out, maybe meet Dylan, all that stuff. Harvey, that sounds fine. That sounds cool. I'll see you there. And I never made it. For some reason, I have never been one to want to hang out with famous or celebrity type people. I've never tried to force myself into a situation or even get a selfie with them. Nothing like that. When I was about 10, I got a couple autographs from a couple Olympic skiers, and that was the end of that. I have met a couple famous people before, and I just treat them like they're anybody. Never fawned over them or told them what a great football player or basketball player they were. None of that stuff. That's just not how I'm wired, and to watch people do it kind of turns me off. Where was I? Anyway, I skipped Woodstock. I really did. About two years later, I was working with a guy that had gone there. and He told me that he had just so high on acid, they just laid in the back of his station wagon for three days. Never saw anybody perform, but he was out of the rain. That's, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Wow, you the man. My old hometown, old Bob at the drugstore, always told everybody that I was my hometown's first hippie. I always smile at him and laugh with him. But I never thought I was. Number one, I never thought I was a hippie. And number two, Gary, that was a couple years older than me, I'm convinced if anyone would get that title, it would be Gary. Now, maybe I was better known, but Gary was the man for that title. Most definitely. Well, I did a lot of things with a lot of folks. Was around a lot of people who thought they were hippies. There was one time, I was a little sweet on this one girl, and she wanted me to start chanting this chant. And if I would chant it with her and I do it long and hard enough that I would find a new plateau of consciousness. So I was sitting there thinking, well, if I chant with her, you know, I'll get on her good side. Well, I ended up passing out. When I woke up, everything I owned on my body, except for my shoes and my pants and my shirt, were gone. So, yeah, I did raise to a new level of consciousness, I guess. And she probably slipped me a Mickey. I also knew this other guy. He had hair down to his waist. was in some kind of rock and roll band. I thought was pretty cool. One night, I was going to get him. We were going to go to this party. And I went over to the directions he gave me to his house. And by golly, his mother answered. That guy, he lived in his mama's basement. Well, I guess that explained why he didn't have to work. Why he could party all night. Why his hair could be down to his waist. Down to his waist! My goodness, that guy hadn't had a haircut in I don't know how many years. After I moved back to the mountains, and this is where I've always identified, 
When I used to be so tripped out, I always thought I was part mountain man, part Arapaho Indian. If I think about it, I still feel that way. It's something that I put down into my psyche so deep that every once in a while, it wants to surface. Obviously, I knew not very much about either one of them. Life was hard being a mountain man, and my heart has always gone out to the Native American. So somewhere in there, I was a little bit mountain man, a little bit Indian. So when people saw me walking down the street, carrying my saddlebags with me, in my moccasins, old leather coat on, they were looking at a hippie, where I thought maybe I was some descendant of Jeremiah Johnson and Little Raven. Later, that community faced an invasion of hippies called the Rainbow Gathering. And I looked at them and I said, surely people can tell the difference between me and this horde that's coming in. And I stood up against them and it did no good. You can't judge a book by its cover. I understand that. But by golly, the cover just might make you pick it up and purchase it. You see, I did have long hair. One time it was down my back a little. Enough that I always had a ponytail. Instead of bathing like a regular person, I'd find some ditch and take a bath in it with Packer's Pine Tar Soap that I bought from Bob at the drugstore. He always kept me stocked with that Pine Tar Soap. At least I was clean. But I never had a tie-dye shirt, never once, not once in my life. Never had a Volkswagen Bug or Volkswagen Bus. Never wore patchouli oil. Never lived in a commune. Although I did live at the Jap camp that was a bunch of cabins there. With my kindred spirits, we all thought we were some kind of mountain men. I still like the Beatles. They will be forever my favorite group. I think Bob Dylan is the greatest songwriter of my lifetime. Scott McKenzie's song, San Francisco, whenever it comes on, I stop what I'm doing and I listen to it. With a smile on my face and a faraway look in my eye. When I do see a young girl that's throwback of that day with a bare feet and long hair, I smile to myself. When I look in the mirror, sometimes I still see that guy with maybe a beard and ponytail. And all I'm doing is fantasizing a younger version of myself. I'm still me through all that. I always will be. But I changed. I always say there's nothing worse than an old hippie. So even if I thought I was a hippie, which I never did, I definitely changed and got away from that lifestyle and that mentality and that fantasy. So when you hear me say peace out at the end of my podcast, I'm not echoing what old John Lennon said about giving peace a chance. I'm not throwing two fingers up in the air saying what the world needs now is peace, 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 peace and love. Now, usually when I say that, I'm just making a treaty between you and me. I do want us to get along, but I know there'll never be peace in this world, in my opinion. Whenever you see someone that's different than you, simply be kind. After all, it may be an angel that you're unaware of. I'll be back next Wednesday. Peace out. Forky and Earl at the Indian Forks. Clear back in the 1960s, west of town, up on a hill on the mesa, in the rocks and the sagebrush and the quaking aspen, was an area that was known to everyone as the Indian Forts. One day, Forky said, Hey Earl, let's go camping up at the Indian Forts. 
So Earl agreed, and they went over to Clyde and Kenny's, and Clyde agreed to go with them, and Stuart agreed to go with them, and the four of them took off and hiked out of town to the east and to the south, and hiked up the mountain, and climbed up on the rocks, and found themselves at the Indian fort. And Wayne said to Earl, Come on, let's look for arrowheads. I always find an arrowhead when I come up here. Of course, Earl didn't want to have anything to do with arrowheads. He wanted to goof around, maybe play some kind of game like hide-and-seek or tag or who could climb up that rock the fastest. But they started kicking the dirt and kicking the rocks and kicking the sagebrush and scratching and clawing and old Forky found an arrowhead. Well, Clyde was quite amazed, saying, How did you do that? And Stuart was off by himself looking for something, who knows what. Then the sun set. And those four boys watched the sun set out into the west, over their town, dipping down below the mountains. And the stars began to twinkle, and the moon began to rise, and they built a fire, and were telling old Indian stories, and ghost stories, and kidding each other about the girl each other thought they liked, and laughing and joking and eating and drinking. Dr. Pepper's a wonderful thing when you're up in the mountains. And all of a sudden, they heard coyotes. They seemed to be all around them. It was pitch black, and all you could see is the fire. And around the fire, he looked out into the dark, and Earl couldn't see a thing. Forky said, you think those are really coyotes? And Stuart said, I've heard a lot of coyotes. I don't think that's a coyote. And Clyde said, not a coyote? And Earl said, I brought a hatchet. We're safe. Well, all of a sudden, there was Indian calls and war hoops. And you could hear rocks pounding around you. And Forky and Earl became very, very afraid. And Earl picked up his hatchet. And Forky picked up his knife. And Stuart got a rock. And Clyde got a bigger rock. And you could hear running and rustling and yelling. What is going on? What is going on? We stood in a circle back to back to back to back. And Forky said, don't let them penetrate by the fire. And all of a sudden, they were on us. And it was Forky's big brother and his pals. And they thought that was funny. And as fast as they came upon Forky and Earl and Clyde and Stuart, they were gone. And Forky said, I wasn't afraid. Earl said, afraid of what? Stuart said, I'm never afraid. And Clyde said, we're strong, the four of us. And they concocted a story that would live for many years. And the next Monday at school, they told how they fought off the Indians and the coyotes and the crazy older boys. And of course, nobody believed them.